0: of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created.
1: You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hi and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn and my co-host this week as usual is Neil Bradley. <laughs> Hi everyone. And we also have Bahar Azizi on the line. Hi all. Um. To help us out with anything where we get stuck
0: on. Yes.
1: Uh, among other things. Uh, so we'll be getting stuck a lot. Okay. exactly you're gonna you're gonna help us here we're gonna be like
2: um'm right. stuck
1: on that one Bahar you got anything so yeah, um
2: well, <clears throat> that song intro gets more and more appropriate as time goes by, you know when Laura's saying just look what they 've done to this place i mean it's it's going down how fast you know and yeah. It goes faster when you take a two-week break. You come back and it's like, what just happened? So, well, on the other hand, though, on the, it's almost like same old, same old. There haven't been many major developments. There was one thing that, that happened. There was a big event. At least as a media event. I mean, uh, the Brussels bombings were... I think we have been not we haven't had a show since they happened um we've obviously written about it a bit on sot um, there's no very little new information since what was reported in those first few days on that event um it's- The dominant thing I'm getting from mainstream media is oh Belgium and the EU in general needs to do this and that and this won't happen ever again so the message being sent home is uh, Europe particularly through European Union needs to be more like us, us being the United States regime.
0: Uh, <clears throat> but why Belgium, though, in particular?
2: Why it's uh, well, didn't. Um, Turkish guy, what's his name, Erdogan, say Brussels will Mm -hmm. be next. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He 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 probably didn't know anything. He just happened to say that. Um, It's, um, the answer is kind of revealed in the headlines that came with the event, you know, Mm -hmm. striking terror in the heart of Europe. Yeah. With so many international institutions there, it's the place to um, attack if you want to get certain measures through. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most flagrant thing about that event, though, for me, is uh, the locations chosen to carry out those two bombings, one at a metro station and the airport, of course. I mean, the metro station is surrounded by seriously high-profile targets, um within a 500 meter radius you have the American Embassy which I think is the largest in Europe you have the European Union district of course and um, the European Commission headquarters the Berlin building is 200 meters away from that from that metro station you have the European external relations service, basically the foreign service of the EU 200 meters from the metro station you have Uh, the European Parliament, about 300 metres to the south of the metro station, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, and many other significant EU institutions and even sites of uh, American interest. And no, rather than at least make some kind of symbolic or some sort of symbolic effort to target any number of those targets, they blow up people underground, and among them Muslims, because there are Muslims in Brussels. You know, ordinary people. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so that's the one target, and then the other target is Brussels Airport, two point five kilometers down the motorway. Is NATO? At least it's it's civilian, it's uh, it's political and administrative headquarters for Europe. And it's it's a massive, sprawling complex. You Obviously, would might be harder for them to attack because it's protected with military and high fences and so on. But actually, at the moment, it's um, open on all flanks because they've just built, but it hasn't been completed yet, a 1.5 billion euro headquarters, brand spanking new. It's one of the largest structures in Belgium. In fact, I think it is now the largest structure. In Belgium, it's an enormous complex, um, almost complete. I mean, hello. You want to wage jihad against the people who kill your peoples? The obvious target is NATO, right next door to the airport. But they go out of their way not to attack them, but to attack the civilians, and somehow that's going to hurt NATO. You know, there's 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 no there's no consistent logical strategy of any kind mm-hmm. in play there
1: let's get them to let's to get NATO to provoke NATO to bomb ISIS some more
2: As
0: pretty much yeah.
1: that's their strategy obviously it's like a big bear you know except that's a Russian bear What what's the equivalent of the like an eagle and you just keep poking it it keeps pecking you in the face and you keep poking it and then how does that help you well you keep getting pecked in the face you know, they're masochists, these people. They, they actually enjoy being bombed, you know. As I said before, they obviously enjoy it. Their strategy is, let's get uh, you know, Western powers to bomb us as much as possible. How do we do that? Let's, uh, well, first of all, we'd have to get the people on side, so let's bomb the people. And then the politicians can use the outrage of the people to justify bombing
2: us somewhere. It makes
1: loads of sense.
2: Uh, what's worse on the other end of this war, in quotes... NATO doesn't bomb them.
1: Hmm.
2: It, well, it bombs the ordinary people over there, or it, just doesn't hit anything doesn't at all. It doesn't
1: bomb anybody. So Well, that's that's good for them. Then maybe they're on to something. So they realize that by provoking NATO, uh, or provide, by bombing people in Western countries, they're not going to provoke a NATO backlash. They're not going to get bombed anymore. So um, what would be their agenda then? Uh, they figure, well, why do they not like Western populations? Well, because they're just... Because they're crazy or something, or because uh, they're the infidels and they like to kill Westerners because they're because they're Christians and stuff, you know. But then they end up killing, of, yeah, end up killing Muslims in their bombings as well. But then they don't care; they don't care about uh, Muslims either because they've been killing loads of Muslims in Syria. So um, it's hard to fathom these people apart from that they're just this boogeyman type character that just nihilistic, oh. kind of has no agenda whatsoever, other than just complete chaos and killing as many people anywhere, everywhere as possible. Uh, but the real problem, okay, that, that kind of thing can exist, but um, the real problem is how do they, why does, why does uh, why do Western uh, countries, Western governments not have a problem with that in the sense that they don't really, for the past, I mean, it was made abundantly clear by the effects of the Russian uh, bombing on, on ISIS in Syria that uh, for the previous 12 months at least, when West, when European and the Americans had said that they were taking on ISIS, they had been doing nothing because the combined military might of the US and European countries, like NATO countries, is probably significantly greater than that of, of Russia, uh, yet Russia with a, a relatively smaller uh, military was able to kind of clean up in six months. Well, I mean, why does no one point this out? Why is that not all over the media, you know? Um, It just boggles the mind. I mean, the more you just just look at that bare fact and you say there's obviously some kind of uh, agenda, some kind of connivance, some kind of uh, um, manipulation going on in the media when they don't point that out. They're not being objective and fair and balanced or anything like that. They're not reporting any facts at all. That's one of the major facts that hasn't been pointed out and should have been pointed out repeatedly by the Western press is why uh, was Russia able to do what NATO couldn't but you don't see anywhere in the media, you don't see any
2: criticism of NATO at all Um, the whole thing's a farce it's a farce it's not being asked but I think the question is it's hanging there in the air you know you you mightn't get it in the op-eds and so on but Uh, people's comments on news sites are alert to this. The the giant elephant in the room. Um, I think as this goes on, that'll get more pronounced, more and more. The the very fact that Russia withdrew, at least on a formal basis, um, is shocking to Westerners because they're so used to war being a one-way to... (coughs) Absolutely wasting a place and absolutely wasting your budget. <laughs> the idea of a punctual planned, you mean, oh, we're done, you mean, war is just like what? You mean doing what you say you do? Yeah, doing what you say. Yeah, it's a
1: rare thing in this world in terms of uh, from, from governments, them actually doing what they say they do. Uh, we have um, a caller on the line. Hi, caller.
3: Hi, hello. How are you?
1: How are you? This is Andres, how are
3: you? Andres, Andres, welcome. Hey, you guys were talking about uh, the bombings in Brussels and. um...
2: Yes? Did, Did we just lose you? We're not hearing you there, Andres. Maybe try calling again.
1: Yeah. Everything's good on our end, but um, I don't know why he just—he just disappeared into the into cyberspace there. Um, I right, try calling again, Andres. <coughs> um, yeah, people are. I mean, we don't really need to go into the Brussels bombing very much. I mean, it's all uh, uh, a bit of a, a joke, really, um, in the way that they handle the whole situation, and, and there's no real proper investigation of it there's no real rational explanations of anything that happens it's all just be afraid and um you know that's all there is to it um there's not much more to say um people are asking some people are asking about the armenia uh azerbaijan business that's kind of kicked off recently um and uh, was it erdogan somebody asked um What's with Erdogan supporting the uh, uh, supporting Azerbaijan against Armenia?
2: Uh, well, the Azeris uh, are Muslim, Turkic. Right, the Armenians are Christian. Armenians are Christian. So when they got independence in 1918 after the Red Revolution in Russia, there was a similar problem as happened at the end of the USSR in the early 90s, these two countries came into existence for the second time and were at each other immediately because, of course, a large section of each population, each ethnicity lives in the other prescribed territory. So it's a recipe for disaster if you try to create a national boundary based on ethnicities, especially in the Caucasus. It's complicated enough. There's a map on the, on the on the images slideshow we have for the show. You'll see a map of how Armenia ties up with Azerbaijan. And it's insane because a portion of Azerbaijan is formally on the other side of Armenia. It's separated. Like Gaza and the West Bank, you know. And then there's a portion of Armenia that's disputed. That's the specific province of Nagorno-Karabakh, I think it's called, which is where the clashes happened in the last couple of days. And this is a kind of disputed territory that, going by ethnicity, would be part of Armenia, but it was given to Azerbaijan, and or they took, staked it out back in the early 90s. And there was basically a war between these two countries until 1994 that was sort of settled. There have been ongoing clashes ever since, but this is the biggest clash yeah. between you, them. You have to since 1994. '94. You'd have to
1: suspect that then. Um, but there's some somebody pushing buttons over there. Some some NATO type character pushing buttons because, like, they love that region, uh, the Caucasus region, for trying to stir things up with um, against Russia. You know, involving Russia in somewhere other. You know, but um, it's so
2: easy to do because th- there's another map we have on this uh, slideshow, which shows you the ethnicities in the whole region, and it's like the a, a mosaic a quilt of it, different things. You also of look people.
1: at the map and you see that part of Azerbaijan is actually in Armenia. Yeah, there, there's a little enclave of, it's of Azerbaijan that's in, you know, it's it's separated from Azerbaijan it, proper. It's, it's like it's a, actually joined to Turkey. Yeah, it's contiguous with right. Turkey. Uh, we have let's see if we have Andreas back. Andreas is this are you back?
3: Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, see. Yes.
1: Excellent.
3: I don't know what happened. I was just talking and then half the way through I lost uh, I lost you. I lost the sound. But anyway, uh, I'm sorry to change the topic because I heard you were talking about Azerbaijan. But I wanted to make a comment about uh, Brussels. Uh, you know, this guy who was supposed to be the uh, one of the suicide bombers. And uh, before uh, going into his martyrdom, he decided to leave his laptop conveniently in the bin for the police to to get it right mm, mm-hmm. and he left in there a suicide note as well so that uh, nobody can have any doubts about what he was up to and then afterwards uh, you guys on so you you started uh, talking about uh well making the question about uh, how come these people don't don't attack uh, you know office buildings or eu institutions or nato buildings which are just around the corner from where these guys made the attack. And instead, he decides to go for random civilians, which is a very valid question, and of course uh, will be in people's minds, or at least people who want to, to question the official narratives. And then just as uh, a couple of days later, then it turns out that they looked further into this magic laptop, and then they found um, photographs of uh, the building of the prime minister of, uh, of Belgium and also a, a map of the, of the building. So it was almost as if, as if they were replying to the questions of the alternative community. And they were saying, oh, you guys think uh, they are not after us? They're after us. They are mm-hmm. thinking about it. You see, mm-hmm. you can see in this guy's laptop. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's not what they did. Instead, they just went and blew up themselves in a, in a public place. Uh, But it's kind of funny how you see this. uh, It's almost encouraging in a way, because that means that what you guys do uh, does have some sort of effect. Somebody out there is actually paying attention to this, and they reply accordingly. They change the narrative on the go. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, there was an article that I couldn't actually find in English, but it was in Spanish about this same um, character. And they said that uh, 11 days before he blew himself up, uh, he went uh, to ask for um, unemployment benefits. So I thought that was a bit strange, of course. Uh, the article was, um, the focus was on how he went through the radar of the local authorities, but uh, they didn't actually do anything about it. So they were like, oh, no, we're really sorry. The system is not set up, whatever. But the big question is, if you know you're going to commit suicide like in a week, why do you bother going through all the bureaucratic nonsense about getting uh, um, unemployment benefit, which is, uh, for starters, is, is, uh, is not a lot, at least not in the UK. It's not a lot. And also, it can take like two weeks or a month to get it. But if you're going to commit suicide like in a week and a half, why are you even doing that? So the article, obviously, the guy who wrote it was a little bit aware of this because they said, well... Uh, this just sort of seems to uh, confirm the hypothesis that they sort of rushed the plan into action because because they caught the other guy, Saleh, Abdul Salam, or whatever his mm-hmm. name was, and because they knew that he was caught, they decided to rush themselves into suicide bombing, basically, which is also kind of uh, i mean it sounds really just like an improvised uh, narrative again, you know, like uh, I don't buy the story that somebody can commit a terrorist act. By planning it like a, uh, a week in advance, I just I just don't buy that mm-hmm. yeah. so anyway, that's what I really wanted to say. Uh, do you guys think that you do have um, some sort of influence in what comes through as the official narrative by virtue of the questions
1: that you put forward? Um, don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Probably not directly, no. You'll you find that you get the questions that are being asked by others. And, that, you know, somewhere there's probably a gauging of, you know, what's the discussion like out there? Yeah. And uh, let's get the people on this. We know uh, for a fact, by their own hand, that they invest a certain amount of their cyber security and military intelligence budgets on, quote, mm-hmm. shaping dynamic narratives. So the narratives, oh, yeah. the lies, are always in flux. Where do we need to adjust them, tweak them, seed a little bit of stuff there, here and there? And that's all, of course, completely independent of of the facts of the matter, Um, Mm -hmm. namely what actually happened.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now that you mentioned this about, uh, you know, cyber trends and how they manipulate them and so on, there was a very good article published just a couple of days ago, um, which is called uh, How to Hack an Election. And this article was... um, a different topic uh, but you can easily see how it could be applied to something like this. Uh, the article was about this guy in Latin America, a Colombian guy who is like a master hacker and he came out publicly. He was already in jail for doing some political hackings and so on. And He came out publicly and he said, well, actually, I have influenced and manipulated the elections in all these countries throughout Latin America, Mexico, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, uh, in other places in South America I mean it was just a ridiculous list and he provided names of the people he worked with and how he did it and so on and actually his story sounded quite believable to me anyway uh, but one of the things he said is that he created a software with which he could manipulate like an army of a hundred thousand puppet uh, Twitter accounts so he would basically set up the agenda there he would say oh, uh, the, uh, this candidate, uh, he's got a really good proposal about, uh, you know, uh, the economy or whatever. We should all listen to him or whatever. And he could do it all by himself with, with these uh, Twitter accounts. So, obviously, if they can do that for an election in, in Latin America, they can certainly do it for the war on terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say, and Thank you. <laughs>
1: All right, thanks, Andres. Okay, thanks. Talk to you thanks. soon. Bye. See ya. Um Yes. Uh, so my take on uh, Azerbaijan business is that Azerbaijan and in particular Baku, Baku was called by Greg Pallas, the investigative uh, reporter, as. Um, or I think it was great Palest mm-hmm. call it the uh, the Republic, Re- of, Re- Republic BP. of BP uh, we call it, I think you call it Azerbaijan in general the Republic of BP yes. um, back would be in the capital but um, that has Azerbaijan and it's you know it's access to the Caspian and the oil fields there and stuff have been, have long're long, were long uh, co-opted effectively by Western corporate and, and government interests um so and of course Armenia just you know on on the face of it Armenia so you have Azerbaijan aligned with the West uh, for a long time and Armenia largely being uh, aligned with or pro-russia effectively so um it's not surprising to see uh, those two countries kind of uh, having problems of course there's a history to the the region that's being disputed and stuff but it's not surprising to see those two countries you know flaring up type now. of thing now because they're just basically a little microcosm of the uh, of the the west's uh attempts to to provoke russia you know the east west the russian u.s uh problem that's been going on for a while now um so and of course you know the u.s uh power brokers in the west tend to like to do things by proxy uh that applies to terrorism and uh, isis and most things they like to do by proxy they like to keep a a a level of um of deniability between them and what they do but achieve the same result as if they acted directly so that's uh it's possibly what's what's happening in um happening there they're just trying to kind of i don't know it depends on whether it goes anywhere or not or whether anything comes of it but um and of course you see russia saying recently that you know calling on all sides to just chill out and cut the bullshit type thing and uh so we'll see i don't know it's just one one to watch but um and of course turkey would be possibly involved in it the more i look at turkey and more i see turkey it's just this kind of uh i don't know it's uh Erdogan as representative of Turkey and the Turkish uh, power uh, elite. uh, They're just, they're like a bunch of, they kind of embody uh, in a public way everything that the West stands for privately or behind the scenes type of thing. They're just sniveling, double dealing, backbiting, (coughs) um, hypocritical, (coughs) devious, (coughs) disgusting individuals. They're kind of like again, I'm sure you can think of some characters from uh, movies or whatever. Uh, kind of thinking of Igor from uh, Doctor Frankenstein movies, you know, that kind of a, of a of a pusillanimous type character. That's that's what the Turkish elite seem to be representing, you know, smarmy, slimy kind of thing. You wouldn't you wouldn't want in your house, type of thing, you know. Um, and of course, it's no surprise that you know that they're snuggling up to the EU and and, and the US, you know. Uh, because they find uh, a similarity of uh, ideology and character amongst the Western politicians, who effectively—I mean, I know—I know, <clears throat> know we have talked in the past about uh, the geopolitics of, um, and written in the past about the geopolitics of what goes what goes on in the Middle East, and <clears throat> talked about Syria in terms of pipelines from Qatar, blah blah blah. Sure, the, those things were on. Um, on the table, but the more I think about it, the more I think that that's not really the issue. Uh, it's not really the, the the motivation for, for example, what's happened in Syria—the attack in Syria starting four or five years ago. <clears throat> um, it wasn't really to achieve any particular uh, geopolitical agendas, at least not uh, directly, um, because these people are basically like the people we're talking about who start wars. They start them just for fun, uh, well for profit, but not necessarily any, 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 any kind of secondary profit. If you know what I mean, or means to an end. <clears throat> war for them isn't necessarily means to an end; it's an end in itself, <clears throat> because they make money from war. Just having war, they make money from war. Uh, of course, they you know they're careful to kind of provide some kind of a narrative. But the narrative, well, as we've seen over the past fifteen or twenty years, and even longer. This is very threadbare it 's very thin and narrative you know freedom and democracy he's a, you know, 're down to basically he 's a bad man you know pick pick some country that you that you want to start a war with uh simply to start a war okay you might have some secondary advantages to doing it but your main advantage your main goal your main point is to actually have the war so you just pick some country that you figure let 's have a war with that country and then you, you, what you do is you the rule book or the the playbook is it's really only one point in it. Well, there's two points in it, uh, or two steps in it. Step one is call leader of said country bad man. Uh, step two, invade. Uh, well, then the third step then would be reap, reap profits. So that's NATO's playbook, you know. When they dust off the Cold War playbook, that's the playbook. It's only, it's only one page, it's not a big book, and it's got three <laughs> steps in it. Uh, Does it
2: have diagrams? <clears throat> yeah. Okay.
1: It have pictures of what a bad man looks like. Yeah. Usually he's got a beard, or a mustache, or a mustache, or some description, some kind of facial hair. Usually dark skin. And and step two is invade, and there's a picture of some planes there, and bombs falling from them. And then step three is just a dollar sign. Cha-ching. And if there's audio on the website for it, it's. And makes a chiching noise. <laughs> and that's what you follow. That's how you get, uh, that's, that's, that's how these mafia, I mean, basically the West, the ruling elite on this planet are just like the mafia, you know? If you imagine the politicians all that get together, people are bamboozled by looking at them and saying, listening to them, uh, discussing, yes, what are we going to do with this issue and that issue and the other issue?
2: Using big words. Uh, using
1: big words and stuff. But they're just like, of course, if you've got a bunch of mafia bosses together and the cameras are on them, they would use big words as well, but everybody would know. Everybody would know <clears throat> as, as as mafia bosses what they were really talking about, and it's what ha- they're, what they're talking about is how to exploit uh, this person or that person, how to get money out of this person whose knees we going, to, who, whose legs were going to break, uh, who hasn't been paying up, who's annoying us, and who we're going to beat, uh, who we're going to murder, and what we're going to steal, and that's basically, you know, EU summits. Uh, nuclear disarmament summits, all the summits that you talk about, that's actually what is you know, below the surface, that's what's actually being that's the deals that are being done are of that nature of how, how, how we're going to make some lots more money for ourselves um, and I mean, but you can see this in the policies that they come up with, like take the UK for example, the UK has I mean they've passed their they reveal a budget, you know the details of a recent budget and the same happens in the US and other countries where they talk about the budget, if you look at the budget it's basically The budget is like a one should be a one page document, and it's like uh, it's you know point one is take lots more taxes from people and give it to corporations, and point two is give it to corporations, and then point three is who give half of it back to us, uh, the politicians, and that's pretty much what their budgets are. You know, Uh, I mean they in the UK they've been totally destroying the the national health service, closing down hospitals. Firing doctors, uh, and all of those hospitals and doctors are paid for by people's taxes. So, what they're saying is okay, the stuff that the money that you, the people, give to the government to use for your benefit, we're not going to use it for your benefit anymore. We're just going to stick it in our own pockets and we're going to tell you that that's good for you and it's necessary. I mean, it is that kind of simple. These people are just mafia. I mean, they don't have a very evolved or complex or convoluted uh, narrative when you look at it it's quite simple if you just look at what actually happens their narrative is we're going to screw you over take money from you and leave you with nothing and tell you in way or other that that's good for you so yeah we live in a planet run by a, a mafia a bunch of mafia dons who are just in the in the typical in the traditional style of, of of the mafia what the mafia does uh and unfortunately they have a lot of power and they have a lot of
2: Not technology. Technology
1: to, um, you know, they have the authority of the state and all this nonsense. And people just, you know, stop giving authority to these people and just see it for what it really is and just kind of walk away from them. Then uh, things might actually change for the better. But uh, bad chance.
0: And now they're um, starting a war with their own people, if you look at the U.S., And the amount of people being killed by the police. Right. And if these terror attacks, um, if they're um, not really done by ISIS, but by some kind of CIA group, it means that we might have more of these attacks in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they basically attack anyone. Yeah. To have their agendas. Mm-hmm in favour of their agendas,
1: yeah. Yeah, and recently they were talking up, and I wouldn't put it past them, they've been talking up the threat of a a nuclear attack, some kind of nuclear bomb uh, carried by uh, ISIS, you know, um, uh, on a drone, some kind of radioactive device Mm -hmm. or bomb or something. I think that
2: uh, uh, that was put out there to give some cover reason for why they're having a nuclear summit, that's just ended in Washington. Yeah, you know this is uh, this is the top thing we'll be talking
1: about this meeting. But can you imagine the money they'd make if they, if there was some kind of an, an a radioactive or a nuke uh, mm-hmm. attack in the US? there would just be like, there would be a windfall for them, you know, in terms of the mm-hmm. the amount of money they. I mean, ultimately, the the money that they make from these kind of attacks is a massive uh, di- diverting of taxpayers' money from essential services that benefit the tax the ordinary person to corporations and their their friends in politics so i mean that's what i mean when i say that war for them is a means to an end uh, that it makes money just simply by having war by having uh, the threat of violence the threat of war or war itself immediately generates vast amounts of money for these people uh so yeah that's the way it should be looked at because it's you know they're the, only, they're the people who benefit you know and you see just like people have always said follow the money you know you look at where the money goes. Forget about all the bullshit and all the, all the, all the rationalizations or explanations of the, from a political perspective or whatever, or how why this attack happened or blah blah blah. Just look at what happens to money. Uh, those people love money, you know. Uh,
2: it's it's their big God. business. Yeah. yeah. So... Show. Erdogan's in the US at the moment, or at least he was this week yeah um, uh, his what does the mafia call their their crew? his crew, his gang of folks, sorry, his bodyguards mm. uh, were putting down a protest outside the Hudson, the Hudson Institute where Erdogan was supposed to come and give a talk. And they basically, in front of U.S. media and world media, just tore signs being held by protesters. They hit some of them in some cases, uh, kicked them off the premises, all in front of, like, police, who were just stood by and did nothing, basically. I mean... You can only do that in the U.S. if you're one of the Mafia bosses, you know? Yep. There's something possibly going to happen, though, to Turkey. I, there were other couple of other reports this week where, you see, Turkey's going overboard, maybe, in some respects. This thing where they called in the German ambassador because they didn't like a satirical cartoon being shown on German TV. It kind of, you suggested, Joe, that it forced the EU's hand to say, yeah, hold on a second, this is over the top, mm-hmm. and to defend mm-hmm. freedom of expression in Europe, blah, 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 Yeah, to show up Turkey a bit. Well, a similar thing happened in the U.S. Well, similar, it's not actually a similar thing, but it's another thing. piece of data that makes me wonder about what they're possibly planning to do with Turkey's outrageous behavior. Um, apparently, the Pentagon's evacuating some 800 Americans from Turkey has already begun to do so. These were military personnel at bases there and their families. No explanation as to why. They just said simply it's a drawdown of personnel. Um, I wonder. I Meanwhile, the other... yeah. No, I was
1: going to say, I saw, talking about Turkey, I saw an interesting story on... Uh, it was on RT, I think, about uh, something going on in in Turkey in the, in, in in reference to the shootdown of the uh, the Russian plane uh, last year. <coughs> it was last year, wasn't it? Uh,
2: yes, last November.
1: Um, the problem the, the, apparently, there were various Turkish newspapers were promoting uh, conspiracy theory that the turkish government the turkish military uh were not uh, really aware of that shoot down that it was done by a kind of fifth column type or uh, a group or something within the turkish military and that they were associated with uh, this guy gulen who is this uh, islamic kind of new agey islamic kind of person who, who's taken up as uh, an exile and self-imposed exile in the u.s and has been for quite a long time and he's a darling of the uh, he's got this massive international organization the gulen organization uh, and he's a darling of the uh, u.s state department they brought him in and uh, you know i think they use him in somewhere there's a lot of stuff uh, around him civil uh, admins and stuff talked about him Uh, In terms of Gladio and all that kind of stuff, and of course, I thought it was interesting because that's kind of um, when that plane was shot. The Russian plane was shot down. That's kind of the the angle that I took on it was that uh, that there is a good chance, anyway, that uh, that it wasn't official an official Turkish military or Turkish air force order to shoot down that plane. That someone basically symbolically stabbed Russia in the back and then stuck the hand, stuck the bloody knife. In uh, uh, the Erdogan's hand, mm. and uh, so I thought that was interesting because uh, I mean it fits with the kind of way that um, I mean you have to remember if you look at the if you look at the effects of that uh, the result of that uh, um, shoot down of the Russian plane it was the really the, the only main effect was to force the Turkish government. Or to allow or justify the Turkish government to uh, kind of cut ties with Russia, or for Russia to force Russia to cut ties with um, with Turkey to basically sour relationships between the relationship between Russia and Turkey. Uh, whenever you see any relationship uh, between uh, Russia and another country soured by some kind of anomalous event i mean the first place i look is the the pentagon's cold war playbook because that's what these people are doing they are extreme they're hysterical and it's almost childish in the way that they do things it's like they they just they're really really annoyed at russia and they want to find any possible way to make russia hurt in some way to, to to punish russia in some way and it really is just very very childish things that they do i mean we're we're fairly sure that, the, for example, the shoot down of the MH17 over Ukraine was specifically for that pur- pur- uh, purpose. To, uh, of course, it was used by Western media to make Russia look really bad, and, and that was all good for, for the Americans, for the for the West. So, anytime I see anything like that happening, it's like, well, what, is, what does Turkey get out of that? What does Turkey get out of shooting down that plane? I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, one plane on and. Uh, it's uh, you know Turkey. Turkey suffered as a result of it, but it also forced Turkey. I mean, if you look at Ukraine, um, the attempt that what they tried to do in Ukraine was was force Ukraine into the arms of Europe and away from Russia. Well, the result of that shoot down uh, of the Russian plane was to push Turkey into the arms of NATO and and the EU. Uh, it's it's the same dynamic as a play there. So, if the same dynamics are play, it's fair enough to look to uh, the the most likely suspect, which is is the Americans. You know, these people are just, you know. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an analogy. You know, it's like, you know, they, they would be they would, they would actually probably be seriously considered. And if they could do it, they would send an exploding cigar to Putin. You know, not one of the deadly ones, but one of the you know, funny ones. You light it and it blows up in your face, so that they can film it, and then broadcast around the world. Like, ah, look at Putin—he's stupid. He got a, a cigar blew up in his face, isn't he? Such a stupid person. That's the kind of extent these people go to, to just because they're insane. Like, I mean, they're just mad. I mean, their blood pressure just goes through the roof, and they stamp their feet and they hold their breath until they go blue. Every time Russia gets any good press, it just makes them so mad, right. and beside themselves
2: with their actions, they, they they give Russia good press sometimes as well. Yeah, but that's... I mean, that's frankly, a, that's shoot, a, shooting down that Russian plane <coughs> yeah. just turned ordinary Westerners against Turkey.
1: Well, that's a symptom of fun, fundamental... That's what happens when you are, have fundamentally irrational people engaging in irrational actions. You're always going to end up doing something that that achieves the opposite of what you get. I mean, you're going to either <coughs> achieve the opposite or and or you're going to Uh, make yourself ultimately look like an idiot, you know?
2: Speaking about paranoid conspiracy theories, uh, the Yukis are pushing Turkey close for top prize uh, with some of the stuff they come out with lately. Um, There was a New York Times editorial, or maybe just an op-ed, I can't remember its contents. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lambasting Ukraine's corruption problem. And they did it just when Porky lands in Washington for this nuclear summit. And uh, the Kiev government, not happy about it. (laughs) It made some suggestion to the effect that, get this, the New York Times was engaged in some kind of hybrid war against Ukraine, which is, of course, what they pulled out. Two weeks ago as well. Who do they accuse of hybrid war? No, no, it's, it's what's going around in certain Western policy circles. Oh, Russia's engaged in a hybrid war against us. And it's this, this meme, this. Oh, and it's like refugees. refugees just went, yeah, yeah, we like the sound of that. We'll take that too. And mm. they use it, but they use it in the wrong circumstances, you mm. know, because that backfired on them. But the Russian-bred. The Russian, the Russian uh, Sort of uh, foreign affairs press secretary Maria Zakharova had a very funny comeback for that. Speaking to the press a couple of days ago, she suggested that Kiev consider um, applying sanctions on the New York Times mm. to force them to. We uh, can't <laughs> and yeah. reveal their hand in the hybrid war against Kiev.
1: It's like the it impression you get the Ukrainians of Por- Poroshenko and those nutjobs jobs in, in Ukraine is that they're just like a bunch of dummies who. They don't really understand anything, but they just latch on to certain certain ideas or certain concepts that they hear about, you know, and they think, yeah, you know, sanctions. Well, yeah, sanction, Russia's being sanctioned. Yeah, we, we don't like Russia. Let's, yeah, sanction Russia some more. Okay, uh, who else are we pissed off at? Uh, New York Times. P- uh, sac- can we sanction them? Who else can we sanction? Probably Poroshenko was probably going around, like, sanctioning members of his family and stuff. You know, I'm going to sanction you. You know, they probably, he probably uses it when he's angry about anything, you know because uh, America said so because America America says sanctions work and I'm going to sanction you too I'm going to get John Kerry to sanction you that's what he says to his wife whenever she, she doesn't do what
2: he says well when his kids take his credit cards yeah they're not grounded they're sanctioned
1: right oh and they tell him that they don't like his chocolate bar he's like, <coughs> sanction you for that or John Kerry John get him on the phone right now John sanction my child sanctions work right Now that doesn't work use some hybrid warfare
2: against them well bad press coverage in the new york times or not um biden did had another attaboy with porky in washington just two days ago pledging another 335 million dollars in quote military assistance to the kiev junta um probably there's going to be crappy second hand hardware from nato. Yeah. Note mil- Nevertheless it's sufficient and <clears throat> it's being rolled out right now. Nope. There's a massive build up. Along. Note,
1: note that it's military assistance. While while the Ukrainian economy goes down the toilet and people are like, you know, yep. losing jobs left right and center and you know, can't feed themselves. America says, "Here, have some weapons." And when they say military assistance, they say that they, they put that number up there, what 325 million? Yeah. In military assistance, that's that that, that's not. Here's three hundred twenty-five million in your bank account. That's here's three hundred twenty-five million of weapons that
2: that that they're taking right now to Donbass. That we will.
1: So we will actually take three hundred. The US will actually take three hundred twenty-five million from the American taxpayer. Yeah. Give it to Raytheon. We'll then send the weapons to Kiev. Mm -hmm. And then, uh. And on Kiev's debt book, goes three hundred and twenty-five million. So Which the American never pay. Go- right. So with and the American government get three hundred twenty-five million of U.S. taxpayers' money. So they're not paying anything. America isn't paying anything apart from with with ordinary people's money, and they also get a debt from Ukraine, and so that, that is repaid in some way or other. Usually, it's you know if it's not paid directly, it's through. It's uh, repaid
2: in political control. Right, leverage. Yeah. Namely, in this case, um, this is where I was going with this, um, with Syria basically being cleaned up, um, it it strikes me as not coincidental that border clashes then flare up anew in the Donbass, where the Yuki's are shelling civilians again and bringing these weapons from Kiev to the border, the contact line. And, of course, in the other standoff we mentioned earlier, between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Uh, it's If there is some kind of considered strategic thought behind any of this, or if it's just a consequence of how these people behave, you know, I mean, don't underestimate that. It's uh, very interesting timing for Syria to be, you know, well on its way to being sewn up, and then two other issues, much closer to Russia's borders, flaring up.
1: Yeah. So what uh, What else we got there in the news, uh, Bahar? What
0: else? Yeah. Well, since you guys mentioned uh, Ukraine, I can tell you what I read about MH17. Um. Mm-hmm. This is an article from uh, last year in December. So there's this um, national newspaper called uh, The Telegraph and um, they said that uh, the Ukraine Secret Service SBU, uh, which delivers a large part of the evidence, is currently surrounded by rumor and potential corruption, which may have an impact on the reliability of key material in the case of uh, MH17 so I thought that was interesting because you guys have been writing about it uh, since it happened and how the evidence has more holes in it uh, than, than, than the, the plane plan itself. itself
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were,
0: and, uh, yeah.
2: Sorry? I have a question for you on this topic
0: Okay.
2: Uh, the, the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Root made a statement not just yesterday I think to the effect that Ukraine will never become part of the EU. Is that, is that correct?
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. But, um, yeah, I personally, I, I'm, I don't really quite fully understand that, why he says that. Because um, I'm not sure if the Ukraine-EU deal has much to do with that, because if I remember correctly, he said that if the uh, deal goes on then it doesn't mean that they will be part of the EU or something. It okay you guys go ahead. <laughs> there's
2: gonna be a referendum. Explain yes. to explain to listeners, there's gonna be a referendum in the Netherlands on this issue, right? What's the question?
0: Uh the question is whether or not you agree with uh the Ukraine EU deal. Okay. And what it is is a good question because it's pretty complicated. Well, but apparently, it's a trade agreement between uh, Ukraine and uh, the twenty-eight EU member states, and they all will—they all have to agree with it—and only then uh, will it be fully in force. And so, the Netherlands has not yet gave a gave the green light because there was a a group in the Netherlands that said uh, why aren't you guys asking the population about these very important decisions so they uh, added a lot of pressure to the government and the government then agreed to do a referendum on the the 6th April Okay. Uh, sorry? I
2: have another question, how often is there a national referendum on anything in the Netherlands?
0: Uh, never
2: (laughs) never? Um, Interesting. So it's not yes. only unusual to have a referendum, but to have one about a specific foreign policy issue. Yes, I've never heard of anything like that in Europe.
0: Yeah, but the thing is that uh, the result will not be binding on the government. So even if eighty percent v- votes no, uh, they can still say, uh, "Sorry, but it's a good thing. You guys just don't know."
2: Okay, so but that's
0: that's yeah. That's assuming if the voting even you know, happens in a fair
2: way. Well, it sounds like it's only symbolic anyway, so there's no reason for it not to go ahead, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, legitimately without any interference. It's not a crucial result um, for the Dutch government. But the very fact that it's symbolic and they're going ahead with it, it's like, it is. and then, of course, coupled with this statement, which is clearly going to have an influence on the voters from the Dutch prime minister saying Ukraine shouldn't, should, never be part of the eu there's clearly some kind of um internal pressure why in the netherlands i don't know maybe it's related to mh17 they do not want the ukraine getting any closer specifically Rut says it shouldn't be part of the eu because it needs to remain uh, a bridge between europe and and russia
0: mm-hmm he's in favor of the deal.
2: He's in favor of the deal, but yeah. it's kind of mixed messages. In favor of the deal, but he doesn't want Ukraine in the EU ever, which is contrary to yeah. maybe Root is naive or something because the message from on high in Washington is clearly towards Ukraine becoming part of the EU and eventually NATO.
0: Yeah, or maybe he doesn't want it to become part of the EU, but he does want to do business with it, you know, because I've been reading some articles about what happens if the deal goes through. And so uh, on one particular thing, I'm not sure what it was, but Russia was doing business with Ukraine on that, and if the deal would go through, then European companies will basically start taking over uh, those contracts like you don't have to do business with Russia anymore you can do business with us and also it will impact small businesses you know and another issue that the dutch people seem to find important is that Monsanto has a pretty big land now in Ukraine i think and they don't want any of that stuff reaching in holland because we don't really have as far as i know a big ban on gmo uh, foods like some other European countries have. So that's what people are afraid of, I think, if that makes any sense.
2: Okay. It's yes. it's all very weird. It's, it's completely yes. a symbolic vote. I mean, the last referendum, as far as I know, held in the Netherlands was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the question then was... <laughs> And actually something of real significance, namely, do you agree to the European Union becoming effectively a state unto itself? Because it was to pass the EU constitution that would have changed the European Union from um, a system of individual nation states that are bound by treaties between states to formally making it into a country, one state. Mm. And of course, the Dutch said no. No. And it was immediately after the French said no. And then all these other countries that were lined up to have referenda on this question, they just cancelled them. Yeah. And then they rewrote the proposed treaty and then it, became, it came back as the Lisbon Treaty and voila, it was eventually passed when day. Mm-hmm. The Irish voted no first time and then they manipulated the situation and they came back with the correct answer. And that was the end of that. And here we are 10 years later and the question is, do you want this other country... Over there to be closer to the EU, it just seemed like what the point mm-hmm. anyway, it's it's symbolic. That's the main thing to take home from this. Like, by the way, Brexit. This idea that Britain is on the verge of leaving mm-hmm. the EU is is not gonna yeah. happen. It's it's purely symbolic. It's been used, I think, to um, uh, as leverage by London and Washington particularly mm-hmm. over Germany. Because, uh, as the UK Foreign Secretary said, in a kind of not-so-veiled way, should it be a yes, should British voters say, we want to leave the European Union, that's going to give ideas to just about every other country and region separate with any kind of separatist leanings, about leaving the EU themselves so
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's not going to happen and then,
0: and then there was the Scotland's independence referendum right?
2: Mm-hmm. oh yeah last September yeah yeah didn't matter which way they voted there
0: yeah and I guess it also shows that in the end you know what the people want um, it's not going to happen no it doesn't matter.
2: No. Your, your vote is only useful insofar as it gives a, a Greek chorus to whatever it is that the elite have already decided it's going to be. Mm-hmm.
0: It's democracy.
2: Democracy, yeah. <laughs> democracy all the way. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> You're f- you're free to do as we tell you.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, speaking of that Lisbon Treaty. I mean, it's happened on a few occasions in different places, but in Europe, when they uh, the referendum on um, on the treaty on the EU treaty for you know for it was meant to, you know it was meant to be passed. It was passed by most European governments, but Ireland was the only country that hadn't a referendum when they asked the people to to vote yes or no, and. <laughs> Uh, all the other government uh, governments themselves had all said, "Yeah, yeah, let's do that." And mm-hmm. but they asked the Irish people, and the Irish people went, "Nah, don't want to do that." And they were like, well, "What do you What do you mean? You don't want to do it?" Shit, that was a bad idea asking those people. Uh, so then they just waited about six months and asked them again. Well, no,
2: the very next day were the first headlines screaming. I remember I was there at the time, and the headlines were, were same message, all of them were massive economic crash imminent. That was the first mention. Ireland's crash only hit the airwaves the day after. The people said, nah. Mm. They basically set it up Mm -hmm. and said, we're going to squeeze you until you say yes. (laughs) So they did vote correctly, I think a year later. (coughs) That's that's,
1: uh, Well, it's amazing that people don't, didn't uh, get a clue at that point that you know, uh, yeah, there is no real democracy. Like, I mean, this idea of asking the people what they think and the people voting
2: yeah. and actually isn't really. That was the second occasion in in the two thousands that Ireland had a referendum voted no. The first one was the Nice Treaty, which was basically the predecessor to Lisbon. Ever closer centralized power of the European Union. Nah, a year later, vote again. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, after yes. a year of propaganda and arm twisting, and yeah. Um, what else have we got there, uh, Neil?
2: Well, just about the quick word on this nuclear summit in Washington. Um, what is it? It's only the fourth time they've had this, it's presented as the nuclear summit of all nuclear power. So it's given the aura of having UN slash IEAEA. Legitimacy. Uh, yeah. That is interna- a legitimate international forum. The Russians have attended the first three. This year, they said, we're not going, which was, uh, it's not like them, actually. They nearly always will take the invite and just sit and go, yeah, whatever, like they did for the um, Paris Global Warming Convention last year. They they just showed up, but they had no real interest in Mm. uh, furthering the agenda. But in this case, they actually said, nah, I'm not going to bother. China showed up. Russia didn't. Um, The reason they gave being uh, between the lines are saying this is – the U.S. acting as world government. This was not a U.N. event and who knows, they didn't say what, they said that um, uh, there was some press statement from from the Kremlin, I think it was something to the effect that uh, the lack of, a lack of cooperation on Washington's part in the run-up to the event about what the real issues were, about what should come out of the summit. Uh, There were some disagreements, and then Russia said, well, fine, we're not going. Um, I don't know. I I think essentially, I think you might see more of this where Russia sets an example in a way by not answering the U.S. beck and call Mm. <clears throat> A statement from Obama at this on the opening day of this event: Madmen must not be allowed to get nuclear material. Of course, he had in mind ISIS and terrorists and blah blah blah. But I just thought madmen should not be allowed to have nuclear material. You mean as opposed to the madmen who've? beaten the entire world over the head for the last 70 years threatening to nuke them if they didn't allow US to get its way on every corner of the globe yeah madmen um, some other craziness happening here in, in Europe the it involves the Turks again. The Turkish deal with Brussels to return every other refugee from Greece back to Turkey is uh, the situation on, on some of the Greek islands right now is explosive. I mean, the Greek government. And I wonder. This is what I wonder if this is sort of willful because the Greek government has got a serious problem where they they can no longer uh, manage the sheer numbers of peoples on some of their islands. They've effectively lost control of ports and islands. Uh, One of the sick things that's probably going on in this semi-deliberate mishandling of the situation there is that, remember it's only a year since Uh, the current Greek government was like completely vilified and pounded into dirt over the um, supposed debt that Greece owes to Germany and the other big powers in Europe. And I've got a feeling that this is being manipulated to maybe not force regime change in Greece, but to give them something to think about in perpetuity at least for the next decade because there's no chance of Greece, if there was no chance of Greece having a, a comeback in the in the war against the great powers in the north uh, over the financial issues, they're, they're dead and buried now. There's nothing, the facts on the ground are so different one year on. There's no chance, no way back for Greece now and I think Turkey was only too happy for the situation to come back because that's Greece, like, taken care of, you Mm -hmm. know, as any kind of a threat or rival or competitor in the region.
0: By the way, um, did you hear about, sorry, did you hear about uh, Turkish border guards um, killing? Syrian refugees? No, tell Uh, us. There was a report that I read that um, they killed 16 adults and three children. So this is apparently their way of taking care of the refugees. They haven't even, they didn't even cross the border yet and they're shot already. So.
1: Nice. Well, typical Turkish. Mm. Yeah. Typical Erdogan and Co., uh, approach
2: the situation. It Shoot it down. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are the people who put them on rubber boats into stormy seas, uh, drowning mm-hmm. 8,000 of them. So doesn't surprise me in the least.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised that, th- that the refugees in Turkey will be treated, uh, not treated very well because they tend to be racist as well. From what i've heard Mm -hmm. so yeah it's not really looking good for syrians but i hope that once syria gets better and better they can all go back there that's what i hope
2: yeah we'll see um we'll see they have a problem now which is that to get back there they need to get back through turkey The last thing Turkey wants is patriotic Syrians, pro-regime, thankful to Russia. The the problem now is that Turkey is more than happy to have a halved population of Syria because it gives them all kinds of other advantages. Uh, (laughs) The only other option is for for Greece to ship them directly across the Mediterranean and into Syria Mm -hmm. that way. Unfortunately, you see, part of the problem with um, propaganda wars is that people leaving, I wonder, we have some awareness that the situation's got better in Syria, but I I doubt very much that the Syrians who've left have much of an idea that the prospects are good now. Or better than they were before, anyway. So we'll see on that front. Um, the part of part of the bruja about this EU-Turkey deal to help the refugees was that Germany and France and others promised all kinds of support to Greece, which is drowning in people and lack of resources. They have no spare budget on for anything, of course. Um, so the Germans and the French promised to send thousands of um, aid workers lawyers to sort out asylum cases um, just even just emergency personnel and actually I think some military too if there's supposed to be a, an EU border corps of some kind being sent there the Greeks have said that nothing has showed up yet or very little um, it's, uh, it's bad for Greece, but it's also it also means that this this situation is going to remain a permanent, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, what's the word? It's a it's a new and it's an intractable problem for Europe. there's it's a bit like the way Ukraine is now Europe's intractable problem next door then we move a little further south and west uh... greece uh... it's just one more year after year i, I, I just wonder what'll this year bring you know there'll be something else um, and to think that it's its origins are so clear to us but so unknown to most people uh, it comes from nato's wars basically and, and this tiny imperial elite, who not not necessarily intentionally, just by the, their nature and what they've done over the last fifteen twenty years, has brought about this this catastrophic situation. Um, and its the, the creative solutions include things like. Um, they're not even creative solutions, are they? But they're, they're the next best thing that European leaders can do. So this week, France's minister for... Um, what is she the minister for? I can't remember. But she, she's a diehard feminist. She's renowned in France for being a feminist. And She's a minister in the government. And uh, she's called for banning the headscarf. Not news in France. They've been saying this before. Um, well, it's. And, but what I mean by creative solution is that the only the solution they have is simply um, to, to, to capitalize on the, the new reality, in quotes, by ensuring okay, our bottom line is we need people's support on our side. Let's scare the crap out of them about the problem, namely all those refugees that came from the Middle East. And that's the best we can do. We've got to hold the fort, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that kind of calculus goes on, because a government minister doesn't just make statements like that completely off the cuff. They do, of course, a lot. And then they're reined in by the party leaders and so on. But it seems to be all systems go in all the capitals in Western Europe, especially, and in the East, in fact. Estonian politician um, in all seriousness, this week says he wants the Koran banned from use in all public places. Basically ban the Koran from Estonia. Uh, it's a kind of crass... It's desperate as well. It's a crass solution and it's desperate. But I think at the root of it is this, okay, the situation's bad, but we got to at least make sure that the authoritarians out there are reminded why they need us, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can protect you from the problems we created. Yeah. And we're going to do it by banning those things like headscarves and Qurans And it's a slippery slope and we're going down it fast. Uh, Europeans mock Trump, but uh, yeah, we got a, like a few hundred thousand Trumps over here right now, and they've got power and they've got media access, and they're talking as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. What uh, What's the situation on the weather front? There was an interesting um, in Belfast in Northern Ireland uh, two nights ago. Uh, there was a. F- uh, what's been put down as some kind of an electrical fault but uh, a lot of people in that city saw um some major flashes in the sky just momentary flashes very bright flashes in the sky and people said that they uh, people in their cars said that they lost a radio radio reception uh, in their cars but uh, and then when the dj came back on he said that he had lost power so that explains why they lost uh, radio reception in their cars but other people there's a report of someone saying that they're that the blinds in their house rattled would suggest some kind of a, you know, it was just, this wasn't just a, uh, I think there was a boom involved or, or some kind of a noise involved as well, you know. So it's been, I mean, they haven't actually said officially what it was. They just simply said um, an electrical fault, but uh, we got it sorted out. <clears throat> and, of course, it could be a transformer uh, explosion or a transformer yeah, blowing up, basically. It causes those bright flashes in the sky, but uh, it's interesting because it comes just on the heels of uh, several uh, kind of fireball meteorite sightings in the, uh, in the U.K. It's across the water uh, that we're seeing over a, quite a large area, um, and it makes you wonder if there isn't some, not necessarily any kind of a, an impact, but a kind of a discharge or an electrical discharge of some kind of space rock flying over the, over the sky uh, and, you know, causes some kind of an electrical uh, interaction. That fries a power station, basically. Uh, So that was one interesting thing. That's not weather, but it happened in the sky. So it's kind of weatherish.
2: It's kind of, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. We want it to be in your face so people go, look, I can see it, but the the cosmos is so damn subtle. Yeah. That you're like, what the hell was that? I don't know, but the power is out for all those cities over there. It's it's coming, it's gone before you can even see it. Um, There was a massive explosion in an apartment block in Paris. Right. Now, that came just, you know... So, coming so soon after Brussels and the bombing, people, of course, freaked out, and they went, terror attack, and the government said, no, 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 padded to... No, no,
1: no, we didn't do that <laughs> once. Uh,
2: yeah, how do we know? Um, we just know, trust us, within minutes, is, it's fine, a massive explosion just ripped apart a residential block, but it is, it's cool. We, we know, know exactly what, what it was, and it wasn't <laughs> terrorist for sure. We know sure. it wasn't, because it's not on our but itinerary. When it, but, it, but,
1: <laughs> but when it is a terrorist attack, we know immediately, as quickly afterwards, that it was terrorists. So the point is, whatever we say, that's what it is. Right? Um, And just suck it up, you know? We'll decide when your terror attacks happen, you uppity people. Just settle down there. Quit your bitching and, you know...
2: And pay some taxes.
1: Pay your taxes and stop talking about terrorism until we tell you when to get worried about terrorism. This was just a gas explosion in a fancy French uh, apartment block. it was a cooker. Now, if you look at pictures of the explosion, it basically blew the top off this reasonably sized apartment block. The whole insides were exposed on to the top floor. Um, so this was one bodacious cooker. I want one of those. Because it already has a lot of power. It blew the top out of the top of an apartment building. And, you know, so... You know, yeah, some little French granny or something was just... Uh, you know, had gone... Going down to the shops and left the gas on or something, and uh, then the cat struck a match, and it it, it blew it up. And that's what happened. And that's one of many.
2: Well, if if you did leave, if you had a gas leak that was left long enough, couldn't it fill a large area and kaboom? Not really, no. No, especially not in drafty French. Drafty French
1: apartment buildings, you know. Exactly. Uh, uh, it's unlikely. It's not sealed you know? enough. The thing is, you know, th- these kind of things have happened over <laughs> and over again uh, in the past number of years. And have all, uh, in houses, I mean, and in the UK, in the US. Uh, Every and other
2: week, there's a house that's just obliterated. Or, or,
1: or you know. Or uh, a factory. properties or factories, whatever, or businesses and stuff just go boom <laughs> for no reason. And it's all about gas. And for some reason, you know, gas is more lethal these days for some reason. Or there's more... <clears throat> you know sources of ignition or i don't know what it is but houses and uh you know residential houses i mean in the u.s there's been several where just this just a house you know amongst you know detached houses along enough in a, in a nice kind of residential area in the u.s somewhere um suburbia uh, and one house just gets completely blown sky high and there's nothing left of it and the house beside it are a bit damaged, but, uh, you know, and, of course, it's a gas explosion, you know. So, um, kind of suspicious, dubious, about as plausible as the suicide terrorist narrative, to be honest.
2: Yeah, um, two days Maybe. ago, a tanker exploded in Germany, an oil tanker.
1: Oh, but on that gas thing in Paris, news just in that they found a laptop uh, and a note in a trash can yeah. outside the apartment that blew up Okay, and it was from the gas man who said that he deliberately left the gas on and that if you don't stop persecuting his gassy brothers uh, around the world and pay them more that there will be more tax it will bring it to the heart of your infidel gas discriminating capitals of Europe and America They have a picture of them as well
2: and then he said inshallah
1: and he said inshallah <laughs> no, he said "Allahu <laughs> it's an
2: interesting it's an interesting quirk of history the way of course there, there are probably many many connecting reasons for it but at a time like this with yeah, things said blowing fir- up. Yeah, they found a passport as well. They found a passport of yeah. the gas man.
1: Yeah, he left his passport. He's French, and nobody knows why he has his passport
2: on him. But anyway. <coughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not suggesting anyone had any foresight, but random explosions, trains derailing on like ever-increasing scale, um, uh, factories blowing up, uh, happening with such frequency that people might ordinarily notice, but they kind of have, they're invited not to because, well, something exploded in the mind, the first association they make with it is a bomb, Mm. i.e. a terrorist, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even if the government immediately says, oh, well, in the terrorist attack, it doesn't matter because emotionally slash uh, the immediate response is the the immediate feeling of of the shock of it. The shock Mm -hmm. is kind of quite subdued because there's a plausible Mm. concept in the reality for why things explode Mm -hmm. completely randomly like that. Of course, there are other phenomena going on that they can't explain so well. But they have less shock value, maybe, like the strange noises in the sky and so on. Nobody gets hurt from those. ignore those. Ignore them. Um, there is another um, thing that happened recently in the UAE. Another skyscraper caught fire. That's the fifth time in four years. Mm. I'm, I am don't know if I'm going to ascribe any natural <coughs> cause to that, though. That could be shoddy workmanship. It could be shoddy. It could be greedy insurance scams. Who knows what. Yeah. Um, Weather-related. Are are we going to go with Fly Dubai crash in Russia as being a weather event or some kind of unusual weather event? Yeah, I think so. Um, They said they found the black boxes now and they've decoded the data and they said no onboard system malfunctions were found. Assuming that's more or less it. It would have to be a, a sudden and catastrophic. No? There was a note from a cat. <laughs> You're not buying that. They'll say whatever they say.
1: No, I mean, yeah, there was a suicide note from a cat <laughs> that uh, took control, hijacked the plane <coughs> in support of a uh, gas man all around the world. No, uh, no Kitty, I could...
2: Kitty Anonymous. Yeah. No, they... Another um, Mouse.
1: Yeah, otherwise. I mean, there was one little reference in that uh, Russian um, in the Rostov and Don crash and the fly Dubai airplane. Immediately, I think that just a few hours after it happened, that uh, some Russian spokesman said something about uh, extreme weather and jet stream. Yeah.
2: Suddenly lowering... So it's really government.
1: strange for yeah. him to come out and say that, you know, uh, but obviously somebody was, somebody was monitoring that and monitoring the the, you know, the weather, and maybe somebody saw something anomalous in the weather Some at the kind time. Of
2: severe localized downdraft. Yeah, exactly. Pushed that plane out of the sky, perhaps.
1: But then, since that, they've um, they've come up with a more kind of uh, pilot error type
2: explanation. So um, they've been talking about the fact that this pilots for this company are stressed because right. <laughs> Working too many hours, right. so on. But that's the case for that's, uh, every company That's no, the thing. We're yeah. all being stressed to the max, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, they, uh, these narratives that come up with that uh, that suddenly are unique when they really apply to everybody, and that it's part of the course and it's never been a problem before. It uh, And the fact that it applies to all pilots, for example, <clears throat> uh, you don't see all these planes falling out of the sky. I mean, it's kind of Occam's razor here, you know, and I mean... Uh, that's not the most simple explanation, uh, pilot error, for those reasons, when you can see that those reasons apply to all pilots and you don't have planes falling out of the sky uh, as they should do far more often if, if this is a really serious risk factor in, in causing a plane crash is a stressed pilot. Well, they're all stressed, so why aren't they all falling out of the sky? They're not. So um, I think they prefer to always... Uh, it's very strange because on one hand they want to spook the public with lots of, uh, you know, story, you know, the reality of 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 our of Muslim terrorism, etc. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, when they don't want to people to know or don't want to spook the public with the threat of natural uh, events, natural anomalous weather phenomena, and of course the. The, the difference between those two things is one is controlled and controllable, and the other one is not uh, so these people are just control freaks they, wouldn't, they do not want to ever let the public in on the idea that there are forces in nature that can act anomalously and threaten the livelihood or the threaten, the, threaten the lives of the ordinary people because of course the government wants the ordinary people to believe that it's the government that protects you And therefore there's nothing beyond the government's power to control, uh, except for Muslim terrorism, which is actually controlled by them. And that's why they allowed that one out there, because secretly they control it. So everything else that is genuinely not controlled has to be hushed up, because people need to continue to believe that the government will control them, especially under situations of fear or threat
2: of or what hushed up or shrouded in lots of noise
0: i'm thinking here
2: global warming man done it here are the solutions for it blah 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 which have no bearing whatsoever it's a far more complex system we live in and of course climate change is far more catastrophic and potentially far more imminent than they will actually allow people to countenance. however when here we are in the process of unfolding events when a city is flooded for the umpteen time in two years and it's broken all records they go see we told you it's the global warming we primed you about a decade ago and remember it's your fault so keep paying your taxes yeah two days ago
1: snowfall in guadeloupe 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 uh, that's that um really high really high mountainous area in uh, the northern hemisphere oh no it's not that's a really low island area in the caribbean and it's april the first crazy and it snowed in the caribbean on april first in
2: guadeloupe is it like a high mountain or what
1: no fell on the beach amazing well it was in the municipality of st Claude. Uh, I don't think there's there's very many high places. I don't think it it actually fell in a high place, no. Um, And even then, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the Caribbean, even if there was any kind of high areas of that place, you wouldn't expect snow to be falling on the 1st of April, but it did. And it was the first time ever.
0: Hmm.
2: Wow. Do you have any crazy weather signs, Bar?
0: Crazy weather signs? Um... Well, okay, maybe one thing that I just read. Um, there were loads of lightning strikes in Florida. About 1,700 in two hours. That's quite a lot. Wow. In Palm Beach County. 1,700. Yeah.
1: So. Charging yeah. things up.
0: Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, Well. I think we're going to leave it there for the sweet folks. We've reached uh, one hour, 30 minute. Uh, So yeah, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to our caller, Andres. And thanks to Bahar.
0: Thank you for for having us
1: And having a chat. Uh, We'll be back next week with another show. Until then,
2: uh, have a good evening. All right. Take care and see you next week.
0: Take care, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye.